morning and Merry Christmas. Hopefully I get to, I've gotten to say that to most of you and we'll get to before the end of the day, but never, never hurts to have a good, good group-sized Merry Christmas. Um, I know it takes a little bit, especially depending on the ages of your kids, a little bit of a sacrifice to be here, so uh, thank you for prioritizing it and I pray that it will be something that's really meaningful um, and I know it's just a day, and it, it commemorates something. We don't know if Jesus was born on December the 25th, or if they even had a December the 25th in the Jewish or Greek calendars, uh, but it is a day that we specially set aside to commemorate that, and, and so I'll, to me, it's a super special time to get to gather with the family of God um, and, and to worship on that day, and so thank you for being part of that, and, and, and I trust that it will be something that that blesses you as well, something that kind of warms and stirs your heart uh, to make this just that much more meaningful a day as you kind of leave here and tear open presents, or maybe you already tore open presents, and you're going to leave here and eat a great meal or just relax and uh, whatever it is you choose to do. uh, I hope it'll be that much more meaningful because we got to be together uh, this morning. Um, Two things. So we're going to do a familiar story. And so the first thing is, there's a lot of different angles you can look at the Christmas story from. You can see it through the eyes of Mary, you can see it through the eyes of Joseph, you can see it through the eyes of shepherds. Um, But what I think we're supposed to do, especially in Luke chapter 2 where we'll be, is to see it through the eyes of God. How does does God view what is happening? What what does God say that this should all be about? And that's what we're going to try to do today the best we can. Uh, so we will be in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. But, but as you turn there, I think the second thing I want to warn you about and warn me about, because um, this is probably the 15th year I have preached on Christmas, and two or three times a pop, and there's not that many, uh, two, two or three times a year, and there's not that many different passages, is the danger you have and the danger I have is that this becomes very familiar. And familiar not in the good sense of it, continues to impact our heart over and over again, but familiar in the sense that we kind of become numb to it. It's like, yeah, I know there were some shepherds, and I know there were some angels, and I know there was a manger, and we can become numb to the wonder of God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. We can become numb to the wonder and the the astounding mystery that God could become flesh, that we could look at a baby and he would be fully God and fully man. We can become numb to the fact that that a Savior was born, that God would choose to be born a baby of all things, and a baby in a manger of all things, and a baby that, that has no fanfare at all. And so don't let yourself become numb to the familiar story that is filled with eternal glories and eternal wonders. And so, uh, throughout Christmas season, we've, we've looked at Christmas as us receiving the greatest gift God could possibly give us. Right? If, if he gave us his own son, how would he not graciously or freely give us all things, Romans tells us? Um, if he's given us his best gift at Christmas, that's why at Christmas we celebrate and we ask you to give your most generous gift to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Now, I don't get a royalty off of announcing that. I say it because a very generous God has sent his very generous son so that the world could know him. 
And so now what we do as we celebrate the Christmas offering is we then put it on us that we would give generously as those who have received, not those who are guilty, not those who, who feel burdened to do it, but those who have received so freely, that we give freely because there is an entire world filled with people that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we want to be a people who freely give because we've so freely received. And so that's what this month is about. We've looked at uh, the, the birth announcement to Zechariah that John the Baptist was going to come, the last Old Testament prophet, and that he was going to come and he was going to prepare the way for someone very special. Malachi chapter 2 and Malachi chapter 4 prophesied this, and then John the Baptist comes and he fulfills it, and he, he is going to prepare the hearts of people. He's going to have a message of repentance. Prepare your hearts for Christ. Prepare your hearts for the one that is to come. And they prepared their, he prepared the way for Jesus to come in and to be believed in. And so we looked at that, and then last week, last week Josiah did a great job as he looked at the lineage of, of Jesus. And it's not a lineage that I would write down. You know, if I were tracing the family tree, there's a few names I would have left out. But God has this all-encompassing grace that includes all different kinds of people. God has this all-encompassing grace that includes all kinds of different lifestyles and choices and sins and failures. It's not just for the pure-blooded people that are worthy of it. And so today we're going we're gonna to land in Luke 2 where the birth happens and the birth is announced. And so let's look at it in, in Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now, this was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and he laid, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were filled with, fear, filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you that you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from, the, from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Let's pray. So, Father, let this good news produce great joy in us again. Let this good news 
provoke great joy in us again. It's easy to be worn out today. It's easy to be down in this season. It's easy to be misfocused and misprioritized, God. And so would you let this news be good news to our hearts again that sends us leaping like it sent the baby in Elizabeth's room leaping, that sends us into great joy regardless of what's around us and our circumstances, that sends us great joy because it all centers on Jesus who was real and Jesus who was born and Jesus who died and Jesus who rose. And so, Father, I pray we might be filled with joy again in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you can tell, I still can't hit the high notes from, you know, losing my voice, but, you know, not that I ever could, but if I hear, if you hear a squeak or two, <laughs> I'm trying to go too high, I guess. Um, so, God's glory is seen in Christ's birth. God's glory is seen in Christ's birth. So, we're going to take the vantage point of God on the events of the birth of Jesus and walk them out. And so, God's glory is seen, as Christ's birth, is seen in Christ's birth as he moves an empire to fulfill thousands of years of prophecy. He moves an empire to fulfill thousands of years of prophecy. So Amy, my wife, is a detective. You do not get things by on her. And one time in our 24 years of marriage, we pulled off a surprise party. With the help of her sister, we got all the details and all the invitations and all the fancy food and all the nice restaurant. And we had this great plan. My mom was going to come. She's going to watch the kids. And then uh, we were going to go, and I was going to take the long way, and my mom was going to take the right way. And, and we were going to end up, she was going to get in there and be ready, and we were going to pull in and get there. And we pull into the parking lot, and I look out the corner of my eye, and I see my mom and kids waddling along. I'm like, <laughs> almost ruined the thing. All those details, all that work, and almost spoiled by one little event. But we pulled it off, and, and we surprised her. And you think how, how many details have to go into an outcome like that that we barely pulled off. And then stop and think about God and the birth of Christ. He's had thousands of years of prophecy where he's just putting little dots together. But all those dots have to connect, and all those dots require thousands of details to make them connect and then it all comes down to this one last thing how, how is he going to pull it off how is he going to get a carpenter out of Galilee in the north part of the country into Bethlehem in the central part of the country how do you get some poor carpenter that maybe he's never left his hometown in his life to leave and go back to this other city is he going to be able to pull it off and so God up and moves an empire to get a poor little shepherd or a poor little carpenter and his betrothed wife to show up at Bethlehem. And I hope that does two things for you. I hope one, it, it fills you with a little bit of wonder that God can connect thousands of years of dots involving millions and millions of details for just the right thing to happen at just the right time for everything that he promised to happen. I hope that fills you with a little bit of amazement, that, that your mind can start tracing some of those dots, and you're like, man, I can't go any further than that. I can't get it. But I also hope what it does is it fills you with a confidence in the power of God to work his purposes out, not the way we want them to work out all the time, but can work his purposes out in our lives for his glory, for our good, that ultimately all things will work out for good 
to those who love God. And that you will, be tempt, you will never be tempted to doubt or to fear his ability to, or his desire to be involved in your life. That you would have a confidence that you can rest in. That, that the God who loves you, the God who sent his son to you, the God who is good, is the God who is ordaining and orchestrating the circumstances of our life for our ultimate good. And there's some times we need that. All right, so let's look at the text. The, the stage begins to be, to be set with these familiar lines that are, that are kind of cursory, you know, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, the most powerful man in the known world, over the, the greatest empire that has ever existed in history. It was the greatest in size, and it was the greatest in length of the empires of history. Like, we don't even touch it. That thing stretched forever. And so he decides to send out a decree, and that decree is, we are going to have a registration, a census. This happened somewhere around 2 B.C., possibly up to 4 B.C. So um, to, around 2 B.C., he's like, okay, we're going to have a registration. We're going to have a census. We're going to number the people. And at that time, our best estimates are 50 million-plus people. So he's going to have a registration of 50 million-plus people. And the way he was going to do it is you would go to your lineage's hometown, so your, your family's hometown. And so we find out from there, this guy named Joseph, we, we know him as, as the stepfather of Jesus, and he's betrothed to Mary. Um, we find out that his hometown is the hometown of Bethlehem. Why? Because he's of the lineage of David. And, and if you stop and notice, like every single Christmas passage we've covered and just about every single Christmas passage there is, David shows up. Why? Well, we've talked about it week after week because it shows up week after week. God came to David and he made a covenant with David, a promise to David that could not be broken. And yes, you're, you're going to always have an offspring. Your line will never be cut off the way Saul's was cut off. Every person who has a right to rule over God's people, they will have to trace themselves back to David or they're not legitimate but the, the lasting, the crowning part of the promise of God was that one day a specific son of David was going to show up and rule forever. His kingdom wouldn't end. His kingdom would cover all things. His kingdom would be established with justice and righteousness. The governments of the world would be upon his shoulders. It would never end in time. It would never end in space. And it would accomplish this perfect justice and righteousness. The very zeal or passion of God would make sure this promise happened. And so David shows up in all the Christmas passages, and he shows up here. And so Joseph is the house of lineage of David, and now begins this set of events that just so happen to happen. You know, it just so happens that they end up in a town called Bethlehem. Because it just so happens that God had prophesied in Micah 5.2, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth a ruler, uh, from me one who is to be the ruler in Israel. Who's coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. And so there was this promise that, that, that you, Bethlehem, you're too small to even be counted. And yet the very greatest of rulers of my people are going to come from you. Your no-name reputation is going to shine with a great reputation because the greatest king to ever live will come out of you. 
be attached to you. And so it just so happened that he had to be born in Bethlehem, and it just so happens that Mary and Joseph end up in Bethlehem. It just so happens at the proper time they end up in Bethlehem, they're betrothed. So she has to go with him. And so it's just this coincidence. It just so happens that they're betrothed. Now, betrothed would be like our form of engagement, but it would be a a super intensified version of it. And so it would require a divorce to break up a betrothal. There was a complete commitment to marriage at that point. And uh, and again, it would require divorce to, to stop it. The only thing that was lacking is there would be a consummation of the marriage at the, after the marriage ceremony. And so they're basically married legally enough that they had to go register together. And so it just so happens they're at a phase of their relationship. She has to be registered too. And then it just so happens. In the whole length of a pregnancy, it just so happens the few days they have to be in Bethlehem to be registered It's time to have the baby. And so it just so happens that she has a baby, and then it just so happens there was no room for them in the inn. Now, that's not a mean innkeeper who's grouchy and kicking out a poor pregnant woman. It's an innkeeper who's had this influx of thousands of people that aren't usually there because all of them are having to be registered in this hometown. And and he's doing the best he can to say, all I've got is this, and you're welcome to have it, right? And so you can have the manger, and... It just so happens he's born in a manger. And why would that be fitting? Why would it be fitting? By the way, a manger is not sentimental and cute. The manger is where animals live. It's a cattle stall, right, with all that cattle stalls in, include. Why would, why would God do that? Now, I can't tell you for certain, but here's some ideas. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world is being born and placed into a cattle stall, a place where animals are sheltered. Another reason we might think of is the shepherd of Israel. Maybe he's most at home and in a place that represents where shepherds go as they look over the animals. And so let's put all of this together uh, for a second. So God moved an emperor of the greatest empire in possibly history. He moves him because, you know, a king's heart is like water in the hands of the Lord, and he moves it wherever he wishes. And so God moves the greatest emperor in history to move the greatest empire in history all over the place, 50 million people or more, all over the place. they got to go somewhere. And he moves them. Why? So that this no-name carpenter and this teenage pregnant woman would take, I don't know, a 30-mile trip, maybe more, but about 30-mile trip from Galilee, which also has promises attached to it, right? That you were in darkness, I'll see a great light, right? Um, To move there down to Bethlehem for just the right moment for that baby to be born, to fulfill the prophecy of what had been promised. Who's greater in this equation? A guy that can snap his fingers and a nation move around? Or a God who can sift the heart of this great man who thinks he's in such control to do exactly what he wants to get somebody nobody else would have ever heard of to a specific place at a specific time to accomplish his specific purposes. And so 
When you are tempted to doubt God's power and ability, let me encourage you. God is sovereign down to the molecules of creation. He upholds the world by the word of his power. When you're tempted to doubt his power over culture or you're tempted to doubt his power over your circumstances or you're tempted to doubt his power over your marriage or you're tempted to doubt his power over your kids or you're tempted to doubt his power over your singleness or over your heartbreaks or over your struggles. This is the God who we serve who does not lack the ability to orchestrate the details of his creation for the ultimate good of his people, everybody that names his name. He is working out the million details of their life for his ultimate good purposes, not the ones we would design. I'm not living the life Chris wrote for Chris. It doesn't look anything like the map I had at the beginning of the deal. It looks a lot better. Had some hard stuff I wouldn't have written into it, but it's a lot better than the plan I had. When you're tempted to doubt, there is a God who works in his world for the good of his people. His heart is good. His heart is kind. His heart is loving towards you. You can trust his hand. You can trust his movement to accomplish his purposes. And so, he moves an empire to fulfill thousands of years of prophecy. He displays himself most clearly in grace by sending his only son. He displays himself most clearly in grace by sending his only son. Now, for the most part, people are known by their character. Right? They're known by the accumulation of their words and actions and how much those match up. And over a long period of time, they have built up, by words and actions, this thing called character, their character. Now, unless, which we do sometimes, unless we make this really boneheaded decision and we can kind of blow up our character with one big monumental thing, but for the most part, there's going to be a pattern of our life that develops a character, and so there'll be times we mess up, and there'll be times we do right, but, but our overall character, people, people will get it, right? And so if we were to say, what is God's character? What do his words and his actions accumulated over time say that he's like? You know, you might be tempted to think, hopefully not here, you might be tempted to think, man, God's awful angry. That's what I get out of it. Like he wiped out nations. He's always judging his people. And then he's judging nation after nation after nation. God's angry and, and, and God's just and, and God likes to punish people. But if you were to look at his words and actions over time, what would you see? Yes, God is perfectly just. And you deserve far worse we deserve far worse. Nations deserve far worse. What we would see is a God that is filled with grace, offering mankind opportunity after opportunity, coming to us when we don't want to come to him, even in his discipline, wanting to turn his hearts back to his people. Read the book of Judges. They blow it. They have judgment. They're captive. And then, God, we don't like this. Can you make it stop? Sure, let me come and make it stop. And then they do it again. And he delivers them again. And then it culminates with this. He sends his son. How is God's character most clearly to sing? When you mass up his words and actions, what do you get? You get a God not that desires to burn everything in wrath, but a God who graciously saves people. 
That's the brightest display of his character. That's what he's most like and most after is a God who's seen in grace, and that grace culminates in the sending of his in the sending of his son. So let's look at it. We've got, we've got a group of shepherds, and they're sitting out, and it's a peaceful hillside, you know, and they've probably got a fire, and they're hanging out at night, and they've got the, the, the sheep kind of corralled together, however they do that out there, and they're raising what is likely the temple sheep that would be sold for sacrifice in Jerusalem. They're watching over them. Now, shepherds, again, are not sentimental. Like, they're blue-collar, tough and rough, language and, and smell and all the things that go with blue-collar work, they're that. They're not, you know, cute little, cute little guys hanging out, right? They're, they're tough guys. And then their peaceful night is bursted into blazing light called the glory of God shining about them. The glory of God is God's perfection, his worth, his power, his greatness in, in a way that can be seen or experienced. And so the glory of God shines about them. That's a terrifying thing. If you're sitting around in the dark with a campfire and all of a sudden God's blazing glory lights up the sky, you're going to be a little terrified. And if you're sitting here a blue-collar shepherd who's probably been swearing at each other all night telling stories and cracking sarcastic jokes at each other all night, and you know your sin, and the blazing holiness of God lights up the sky, you're going to be a little terrified. And so, of course, the angel that appears is like, fear not. (laughs) Don't be afraid. Why shouldn't they be afraid? Because there's good news of great joy. And, And so anytime somebody's like, I've got some good news for you. Then you get a little bit excited. You want to hear the good news. You want to hear what's going on. And, and it's some good news. And you're like, man, that's pretty awesome. And depending on how good or great the good news is, depends on how intense your response of excitement, how intense your response of joy is. And so when the angel's like, I've got good news, it's not the kind of good news like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. I hope the pastor finishes on time, and I will. Even if we have to stop, I, I promised you an hour and that's all I'll take. Good news, yeah, that's okay, that's awesome. Or is it, I've got good news and it's the kind of news that provokes joy that is only described as great, exceeding, excelling joy. This news is so good, it should do something to you, great joy. Does this good news provoke joy, great joy in you anymore? Does this good news move you anymore? Good news of great joy, and it's for all people. It's not just for a group of people over in Israel in the Middle East. It's not good news just for this group of people called the Jewish nation. God says that would be way too small an inheritance for my son or for my servant. It's for all people. And you know. It's not just good news for people sitting in the southern part of America with a middle-class income, maybe skin like ours. It's good news for all people, and 40% of the world have never heard it. And so if it's good news of great joy for all people, then it has been entrusted to us in our generation to extend that good news to that many more of all the people that have never heard it. 
And so part of the gift of Christmas is the gift of sending to the nations. And it's good news of great joy that centers on a Savior. What did we need? Salvation. How do we know? Because God sent a Savior. He's a Savior, and if he is your Savior, he would be your Lord. He would be your Master. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Good news of great joy for all the people. And then they, they give him a sign, and the sign is you're going to find a baby in a manger. So of all the babies that are born in Bethlehem, and all of them are hanging out, how will we know we get the right one? It'll be the only one in a cattle stall. When you find him, you'll know what we said is true. When you find him, you'll know you have the right baby. And so it's just really easy to get disappointed and down at Christmas, isn't it? Like, here's the way our present unwrapping goes. Don't worry, honey, you can return it if you want to. Like, I'm anticipating you not liking the gift. I'm anticipating your disappointment. Or maybe it's all that work that went in, all that excitement, then there's just that kind of letdown. But that's just a little example of, like, our lives, isn't it? And it's this, this up and down. Maybe we've just checked out of hoping much of anything at all anymore. And as long as our hope is based in this world, whether it be the little moment of Christmas and a present, getting the right one that I'm gonna feel okay once I have it, or the bigger stuff of life where that one thing's gonna make it all better, we're always gonna fall to disappointment. We're gonna be crushed by the weight of hopes that can't hold. But if our hope is Christmas, the person of Jesus Christ, then our feet stand on the solid ground, a hope that is unshakable, a hope that won't crumble when life does. Good news, great joy about a person. His name is Jesus. Last point, real quick. He evokes a response of worship, meditation, and mission. He evokes a response of worship, meditation, and mission. So you know the story. They go, they go with haste, and they see the thing that God said. They see the baby. They see Jesus. That's important. Don't miss that. That's the number one thing. They have to see Jesus to respond to Jesus. But everybody that saw Jesus responded to Jesus. Now, they didn't all respond in faith and adoration. Some responded very differently. But everybody that saw Jesus responded. These shepherds see Jesus and they respond. And I want to ask you, as we look at these responses, could they be missing in your life because you've never seen Jesus, meaning you've never turned from your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ alone to save you. You've never gone from death to life and darkness to light. Consider that. Consider that you've never seen Jesus, so of course you've never been moved by Jesus. And if you're a follower of Jesus, consider this. Maybe it's been too long since you've seen Jesus, meditated on him deeply, seen Jesus you know, been sung to each other with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs that make a melody of the greatness of Jesus in your life. Maybe it's just been too long since you've stared and seen Jesus. Look at the three responses very quickly. They spread the news widely. The angels came to us with a message. We saw Jesus, and the only possible response to seeing Jesus was to tell everybody about what we had heard, the message, and to tell everybody about this baby that we've seen. And so they spread the news everywhere they went. 
God has sent his son, Jesus. God has sent the Savior. We heard it from the angels. We saw him in a manger. You can be saved, right? They, they spread the message widely. Is there anything in your heart that stirs you to share the message widely? And if not, why not? I asked me first, by the way, and then you. Second response, meditation. The people were all amazed at what they heard. What in the world? Something special is going on. But what did Mary do for the second time? She treasured in her heart these truths, and she turned them over with joy and meditation over and over in her heart. What can this mean? What is this about? What have we just heard? What, what does this add to what I know is going on? Meditation. And then the last response, worship. They returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard, the angel's message, all that they had seen, the baby Jesus. Yes, cute and lying in a manger with the crown of the nations on his head. They've seen the Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so I want to invite you to three simple responses. I want to invite you to three simple responses as we begin to wind down. And if you find that these responses have faded in your life, don't exist in your life, are blah in your life, go back to the beginning. Have you seen Jesus? Or has it been too long since you've seen Jesus? The first response, meditate. Don't just read your Bible. Stop and let it turn over and over and over in your heart. And how do you know when you're done? It's done something to you. It's stirred something in you. You've turned it over and turned it over till it's affected you. Meditate. The second response, worship. Worship. What you have seen that is stirring you, you turn back to God in praise. In a gathering like this, your voice isn't the voice that's getting left out. Not because you have to sing, but because you're moved to sing because you've seen the Jesus you're singing about. And then as you go out into your life, God has showed you what he's like. And then you go live your life in a way that reflects him. That's worship. Living sacrifice worship. Meditate, worship, and then lastly, out of the overflow of somebody that's seen Christ and worshiped Christ, share Christ. For years, we've asked, do you have two people you're serving and sharing with? For years. And if you don't have two people on your heart to serve and share with, why in the world not? It's a question for God. I don't, I don't mean it as a question for you to feel guilty about. I mean it for a question that weighs on your heart to provoke you to action. Why is there no concern for anyone in your life who is headed to eternity apart from God to know the good news of great joy of a Savior? Why don't you care? Why don't you care about two people in this world? Have you seen, hadn't seen Jesus in too long? Have you quit meditating on a truth that changes your heart? Has your worship grown cold? Because a heart that's that full of Jesus has to share Jesus. A few practical things. We'll wrap it up. What are your ways, or what are some ways and reasons you struggle to believe God's power? What are some ways and reasons you struggle to believe God's power to keep it, to keep it shorter for the most part, you look out there and you see circumstances and feel it. You see hurt and feel it. You see the thing in your life that's missing or messed up, and you feel it. 
But you also see a God more powerful than that. What's holding you back from it? Second, how can you cultivate the practice of meditating on Jesus in the Word? How can you add to the practice of reading the Word? And if you're not reading the Word, great place to start. How can you add the practice of meditation? Are you in the Word four or five days out of the seven in a week? It's a great place to start. What if you cut your time in half? I'm going to read, and then I'm going to take a piece of that and just soak and soak and soak and soak and soak till it stirs in me. And then lastly, who are you going to intentionally pursue with the gospel this year? And if the answer is no one, then the question is why not? I ask that to me first. Please know that. But I also ask that to you. If we have good news of great joy for every person on this planet about a Savior, how am I going to personalize that to one or two and then go share? It's a familiar message, but it is a message that all about the glory of God. Glory to God in the highest. God deserves the highest glory, but also God does the most good to his people. On those, peace on those with whom he is pleased. Peace on those who have received his favor. Glory to God, favor to those who believe. It's familiar, but don't let it become so familiar that it doesn't move you. Let's pray. So, Father, in Jesus' name we bow, and we ask you to move by your Spirit to warm us with the light of Christmas. We ask you to move by your Spirit to shine on our dark and tired souls again the brightness of the glory of God. We ask you to move by your Spirit to give us a glimpse of Jesus that reinvigorates our tired lives and tired souls. We ask you for a weight that won't release to pursue some people with the message of Jesus Christ. We ask for that, Lord. And and if we don't ask for that, I ask for that for me. And I ask for that for, for all of us. And God, if there's someone who's never seen Jesus the first time, never seen him crucified and risen Oh, God, would you show them today? And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we come to our time of invitation, it's really simple. Have you ever seen Jesus in a way that broke you out of your sin, saved you, showed you Jesus? Have you ever turned and believed? If not, what a great day. What a great day as we commemorate his birth to do that. But maybe you have but that distance has grown. And man, it's been a long time since you've glimpsed him. It's been a long time since you've experienced him. And you've let that distance grow and cultivate, and you just want to recommit, replace yourself in a place to see him. Maybe that's how you need to respond. Or maybe you so desperately want this good news to land on somebody you love. Or you want this good news to weigh on you again to send you to somebody you love. However you need to respond, let's stand together and sing, um, and you respond as the Lord is leading you.